0: Welcome back to LOP. I am Blake Bozarth and this is Leadership on Purpose, the show that's designed to help you grow your influence and lead with confidence and with humility. This is a fun episode today, guys. We have another incredible guest on the show, Matt Darty, and he spends a lot of time on this episode given yours truly the absolute business. I think you'll get a kick out of that. Those of you who know me may know that I'm a diehard University of Kentucky basketball fan. You know, UK, Kentucky, God's gift to college basketball. I'm kidding, but not really. Uh, But this is a conflicting episode because we're having an absolute legend from the college basketball world on the show today. He's won a national championship with Michael Jordan. You may have heard of that guy back in the day. And unfortunately, it pains me to say he won that championship at the University of North Carolina, that terrible, terrible school, Tar Heel Nation. And he coached at UNC. He's played at the highest levels. He's coached at the highest levels. And he's also fallen to low lows. And he shares his vulnerable story in a very compelling way, guys. It's a God story of, of, of rebound and redemption in his life and in his leadership. And it gave me goosebumps. And so I think you'll enjoy that story. We talk a lot about talent and how every coach, every leader wants to have a talented team. That's a good thing. But talent without chemistry results in chaos. And that's a quotable from Matt. You'll hear about that in the episode and how you can create chemistry on your team to get the most of the people and the talent and the intelligence that's around you we also talk about this concept of a personal board of directors and how if you're an aspiring leader if you're anywhere in your leadership you should most certainly have a personal board of directors what does that mean what does that look like people that can speak into your life with truth but doing that crafting that that board in an intentional way there's some there's some great nuggets all over this episode guys i think you'll love the stories and the anecdotes that he shares and without further ado Let's jump into the show, Matt Doherty, the one and only, welcome to Leadership on Purpose.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's my favorite topic. So I really appreciate you having me on the show and I look forward to having some fun with you guys. We had some friendly banter that was not
0: recorded and you'll probably hear some digs here and there. I'm a college basketball nut. It's an honor, but it's also a little bit of a conflict to have such a legend from the Tar Heel Nation on the show today. But we're gonna get along, I think, overall. So, well, hey,
1: chat. I, I, I like I like KU fans. So you know, Kate, yeah, I'm I'm okay with KU fans. I, I I worked at the University of Kansas for seven years. <laughs> oh man, he's already he's coming in high, hey, coming man, in high. Here we go. So well, hey, oh, KU, KU, UK. I'm sorry. The real, I'm sorry. The
0: real UK. You know. Oh yeah.
1: What, whatever whatever.
0: Go ahead, <laughs> Jen. I want you to you tee us up on the career flyover questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So hey, thanks for being here today. If you could give us your career flyover in sure. sixty seconds or less, we are going to sure. gamify this and let's see how you do. All right.
1: Yeah. No Irish Catholic kid from Long Island. Played for legendary coach Bob McKillop, who coached Steph Curry at Davidson. Bob was my high school coach my first two years. Was blessed to win. I started, I played as a freshman on the varsity. We won championships, culminated with my senior year state champions. Was a McDonald's All-American. Could have gone to a lot of places, including NC State or Kentucky, but I chose the best basketball program in the country. And I went to the University of North Carolina. Legendary Dean Smith, you talk about leaders, maybe one of the best all time in any sport, any industry, and was fortunate. Final four my freshman year, lost to Indiana with Isaiah Thomas. Started my last three years, won a national championship with a guy named Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Jimmy Black. Also played with Kenny Smith, Brad Daugherty, and then thought I would get drafted high, got drafted in the sixth round, got cut by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then I went to work on Wall Street, thought that would be cool and hated it and got into basketball coaching and ended up being the head coach at Notre Dame, North Carolina, number one in the country at North Carolina, national coach of the year, beat Duke at Duke my first year. Two years later, I was was asked to resign after political unrest and they questioned my leadership. Plus, we hadn't gone to the NCAA tournament in two years. So uh, that's where my leadership journey really begins is in 2003. Wow. Hey, one thing I know we can all get behind on this call is
0: the concept of beating Duke. That's something that's something that we can unify around on this call. Amen. As an NC State guy, we have some common ground. Matt, you have competed at the highest levels. You've been a high performer your entire life uh, on the sports side, playing, also coaching now in the business world, what you're doing and leading executives. You played with tons of high performers. You listed a few of those, including somebody that most people would would really know pretty well, initials of MJ. Talk to us about what does it look like to be a high performer, to be surrounded with high performers, and then to maybe most importantly, for people listening to this, thinking about leading a team. Everyone as a coach, as a leader, wants to have a super talented team. You've been around that, but talent alone doesn't necessarily result in
1: wins, right? I think high performers, I think they have a, a, a real passion for their trade, whether it's basketball, art, music, acting, they have a tremendous passion for what they do, a, a personal pride. This is the delicate dance as a high performer. You have to be obsessed with what you do, but you can't let that obsession ruin you. So there's a there's a break-even point. It's kind of weird because my whole life growing up, since fourth grade, I identified as a basketball player. I love to be identified as a basketball player. Then in 1984, when I was drafted in the sixth round by the Cleveland Cavaliers, the worst day of my life, and then. I knew I wasn't gonna make it. You know, you don't nobody makes it in the sixth round. They don't even have six rounds anymore. So then and when I get cut by them in the fall, like September, my my identity's over, man. Like I I I I have a rebound podcast. And and so I've had people on Olympic athletes, like their career's over gymnasts, their career's over 17, 16. They're done. They devoted all this time and energy to be an Olympic gold medalist, and they're done. And if they don't get on a Wheaties box, what what do they do? They got to get a regular job? So Chad Hedrick has got to be a friend of mine. He was an Olympic speed skater. He won world championships, gold medals in the Olympics, and at like 32, he's done. And he's got to put together a resume and get a real job. That identity is really painful. And I think a lot of people turn to suicidal thoughts, to drugs and alcohol. I turned to alcohol. I drank in college and then when I was depressed working on Wall Street, I drank a lot. I was all city, man. I set records drinking beer and other, other things until I woke up on the porch one day at the Jersey Shore in 1988. And I think it was 1988. And woke up on the porch, and it wasn't the porch of the house I was staying at. And early that next week, I went to see a counselor. She told me I had the symptoms symptoms of a chronic alcoholic, and I felt like dumb and dumber, right? So you're saying I have a chance? Like maybe I'm not alcoholic, but I knew I was. I went to a, moved to Charlotte to get into the real estate business. I didn't want to tell anybody. So I kept it under wraps. Eleven years later, basically, from that time, I become the head coach at Notre Dame because I gave up the drinking and channeled all of my energy towards something constructive. And so I talk about the high performers. You have to be obsessed because if you're not obsessed, you might just be talented. But I'm talking about the like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, you know, Michelangelo. I'm talking about the best of the best. They're obsessed with their trade. And then you have to be smart. And you have to be talented, right? You can't just be obsessed. You have to have talent. And I think a level of intelligence that I don't think we really value as much, because when you have conversations with guys like Michael Jordan about their opponents or about motivating their teammates, these are smart people. Like Michael Jordan's emotional intelligence is off the charts. And so now you want to have great talent, but talent without chemistry is just chaos. I just made that quote up. I think that's a pretty good quote. Talent without chemistry is just chaos. Yeah, that was pretty. I'm going to write one, that one down. Okay. A friend of mine, Gordon Chesa, who used to coach for the Utah Jazz with Stockton and Malone, would say, "The best talent doesn't make up the best team, but the best team always wins." Now, just think about that. After every game, an opposing coach who lost might say, "Oh, they were the better team." Yeah, the better team always wins. And the best talent doesn't make up, always make up the best teams. And we've seen that. You better have chemistry. You better have defined roles. You better have everybody rowing in the same direction at the same rate. And that's where leadership comes in. Because the leader set the vision and the leader has to hold people accountable to certain behaviors. And you know we we'll get into the culture piece in a minute i'm going to let you guys talk a little bit because it's your podcast man
2: i feel like there's there's so much leadership gold in everything that you just said from the identity piece to we have to be obsessed with our craft and continuously improving our craft but we cannot be defined by it and part of mastering your craft is not allowing yourself to be defined by it but then the piece around chemistry and emotional intelligence and what i was hearing kind of at the end there on you have to be rowing in the same direction and you have to have defined roles the the word that kept coming to my mind was trust mm-hmm. in order for a leader to be able to set the vision and build a team that's doing what you just described trust has to has to kind of be the foundation of that so uh, how does how does a leader take emotional intelligence and chemistry and like how do they use that to build trust can you maybe share a practical example of what that looks like sure
1: Sure, I think it all starts with I, th- I think it starts with core values, and you have to you have to have a, a rudder that steers the ship in the rough seas of leadership. And to me, those are the core values. And I'll give you an example. Coach Smith recruited me. I was a McDonald's All American. Had a lot of schools recruiting me, and he came to my home visit. And you know, we talked about his core values. And his core values go back probably to the '60s. Like when you talk to older players and they're like yeah we he talk about that and yeah he did that and it's like the same stuff coach smith was brilliant i talk about every organization is made up of three things and i call it the organizational triangle every organization has talent systems and culture and at the base are systems and culture because the better your systems the better your culture the better your talent will perform the better talent you'll attract and the better talent you'll retain however I, I take the triangle and kind of turn it up, with the flat parts up top and the cultures at the bottom. Because culture is king. You could have great talent and great, and you could have great talent and great systems, but if you have bad culture, you're not going to perform at a high level. You could have average talent and average systems, but if you had an elite culture, you're going to win a lot of games in anything, whether it be business or sports. So Coach Smith comes to my home. And the topic of playing time comes up, and he, 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 he just smiles, and he was so relaxed. He's crossed his legs, you know, arm in the back of the couch. And he just says, matter of factly, he says, you'd be lucky to play by the time you're a junior. And I leaned forward and said to, under, to myself, I'll show you. And he talked about his core values of playing hard, playing smart, play together. He's not going to promise anything to a recruit before he arrives on campus. Like, he doesn't promise you anything. He's just going to promise you're going to get a good education you're going to be, you know, hopefully on a good team, around good teammates. And so, heck, Michael Jordan didn't even get on the front cover of Sports Illustrated in the fall of his freshman year because he hadn't played a game yet. We had a team photo of the potential starters on that 1982 National Championship team, and Coach Smith wouldn't even put him on the front cover before practice started because he hadn't played a game yet. So. I think your core values are so important, and there's so many companies. When I give keynote talks, I'll ask people, okay, what are, you, what are your core values? And, or do you have core values? And people raise their hand and say, okay, what are your core values? And they're like, they're like, oh, huh, hum. And they, they're looking around. They're looking in the sky. They're looking in their, on their phone. And they're like, well, it's on the website or it's on, on the wall in our office. And I call it wall art. So you've got to activate your core values and operationalize them through a set of behaviors that are rooted in your core values. And then the hardest part is holding people accountable. So coach Smith recruits us, doesn't promise us anything. I get, I get there and. He's talking about play hard, play smart, play together. So in practice, we have a practice plan, an agenda before every practice. And they'll be, it'll be timed. You'll have your teams, you'll have all the drills, and it will have an offensive emphasis of the day, a defensive emphasis of the day, and a thought of the day. I still do that today when I, I'm an executive coach, when I bring my teams together. I'm a Vistage chair, and, and we do that. And so the offensive emphasis might be hit the first open man you see. So if I see Blake in practice and I don't throw him the ball, Coach Smith will blow the whistle and say, and he always calls you by your full first name. Eh, Matthew, he never cursed. Matthew, why didn't you throw the ball to Blake? Obviously, I don't have a good answer besides maybe Blake sucks and I didn't want to throw him the ball. He shouldn't be on the well, court, Coach. He found anyway. out Blake was a UK fan. <laughs> really yeah. So... So then he'd say, okay, Matthew's team on the baseline, got to run a sprint, just half court and back, which was a slap on the wrist. And I always say then the worst thing that could happen is the very next possession, I'm open, Blake throws me the ball and I scored. He'll blow the whistle and say, oh, aren't you glad Matthew, aren't you glad Blake hit the first open man you saw, he saw. So he never, we had awards after every practice. He graded film for over three hours with the staff and would give us the grades the next day in practice. None of them had to do with scoring. There were seven awards. Defensive award was the most important. Assist to error ratio, I think, was second. Hustle, offensive rebounds, block shots, draw charges, deflections. Yeah, I think those were the seven. Nothing with scoring points. And, like, as a player, I could compete for most of... Those are the behaviors he wanted that led to winning if you had talent, if you had talent playing as one. Again, the best players don't always make up the best teams, but the best teams always win. And the best teams do those seven things that I listed. I'm
0: eating this up, but one thing that really sticks out for me is the emphasis, Matt, on accountability. It's one thing to define your core values and say, hey, this is what our culture should be, right? This this is This is what we aspire to be. It's another thing to actually have some systems. And you, you actually, the example you gave was awesome in terms of these are the kind of high level principles and values we have, and this is what it looks like. Here's a mantra, here's how we enforce that. So it's one thing to have a system, but it's another thing to actually, back to that accountability piece, to enforce it. And you, you probably know this, one of the biggest weaknesses, and it's actually one that most of us, a lot of us aren't, aren't aware of our failures as leaders, but this is one that most leaders are actually aware of, right? is that most leaders struggle with driving accountability. That's right. Can you speak to that for a little bit? What what does it look like to embrace that?
1: Yeah. Well, let me go back. I forgot to really touch on the trust part, Chad. I, I, my core values are RTCP, respect, trust, commitment, positivity. You have to have respect before you can have trust. And I think that's the most important quality. Anybody wants to feel is respected. And then if you feel respected on a consistent basis, that develops trust, and that leads to a commitment. And then I want people to do it in a positive manner. I don't like to be around negative people. One of my friends, Kevin Stallings, who coached at Vanderbilt, by the way, I think they beat Kentucky in the finals of the SEC tournament. Keep it rolling. When Anthony keep it rolling. Davis was a freshman, I think. <laughs> right? Right, Chad? and One of uh, our two losses that year Well, maybe, i asked chad maybe. i asked chad i asked chad blake i asked chad don't jump in front i think and, that's uh, right matt i think you're spot on <laughs> yeah and so so uh, but you do those things over and over again that develops a trust right trust is just basically delivering on what you said you would do it's really kind of easy and so but the accountability part is hard but it it's a lot easier when you have core values spelled out. When you have behavior spelled out, it's less emotional. When I was a young head coach, I made so many mistakes because you don't, when you get mad, you're really mad at yourself because you didn't explain the consequences. So now when you have core values and you explain them, and I, I really incorporated them at FAU and then SMU, We had a stone that everybody signed that had at SMU, our core values, RTC. I didn't have the P yet. And you can't have more than four, in my opinion, because people don't remember more than four things. That's why phone numbers are three and four digits long. So RTC, respect, trust, commitment. I had the player sign it. It's like an operating agreement, like a contract. And then I found out a player wasn't going to class. So, I had an assistant send him up to the office before practice. He walks into the conference room. There sits the stone. I said, What are our core values? He said, Respect, trust, commitment. I mean, they've got to be, they've got to be repeatable. These, the, these are living, breathing words, values. And I said, I understand you're not going to class. He dropped his head. I said, Well, with the fact you're not going to class, you obviously don't respect rule that I have of mandatory class attendance. Two, I thought you were going to class and I find out you're not going to class. So you've lost my trust. And then three, by not going to class, you're obviously not committed to getting a good education. And then I went old school on him. I said, I said, if you were me, what would you do? And he's like, he said, I'd suspend me. I said, okay, you're suspended. And we walked out the door and literally this may sound ridiculous, but it's the, it's the proudest moment I ever had as a coach. It's emotional intelligence. It's leadership is a learned behavior. You can become a better leader. See, I wouldn't have done that when I was a head coach at Notre Dame or North Carolina. Because I, I was young. I was younger. I was immature. I, I was insecure. I wanted to show them that I was the boss. And, you know, I was going to, I would have yelled at them in the circle and and before practice started, what would have that done? It would just, maybe the other players would have looked at me like, man, he's a jerk. So when I went on that leadership journey and, and took some classes and, and read about emotional intelligence in 2003, in the book we were reading from, it said leadership is a learned behavior. It was the most exciting thing that I ever learned. And that's one of the reasons I am an executive coach and keynote speaker today. But you're right, Blake, the hardest thing is accountability. But if you have pre-approved it, like when I onboard you, I recruit you as a player, like Coach Smith. All right, you you might be lucky but play by the time you're a junior. We pass the ball to the open man here. We play team defense. He's explained that to me. So in the home, hey, Matt Matthew, in the home visit, we talked about this. You know, core values, we agreed to this. I had players sign the stone. We agreed to this. So when I got on that player and held him accountable, it was an unemotional event. He couldn't argue it. And I delivered it in a calm, cool manner. And now you think what happens when that player goes to the locker room or that employee goes to the break room and they're saying, oh, my gosh, what happened? What happened? What did he say? What did he say? Well, he asked me what our core values were. He told me I wasn't living up to them, and I guess I suspended myself. How powerful is that? That's magical, man. I'm just companies.
2: I feel like companies just need this. We really, really need it. One of the things that that's I— that's why
1: I do what I do, man. There no, we seriously.
2: go. Yeah, no. One of the things that I am hearing from you there is this. This thought in my head is: we can never lead others like the extent of our ability to lead others is equal to how well we can lead ourselves. And so if you're going to lead others, you got to help people lead themselves and what you did there, you helped that player lead himself to to what he needed. He said, "Hey, I've I've fallen short. What are the consequences?" And he said his own consequences. That's, That's the right. ideal situation. Here's my question for you. I feel like most companies don't have that environment today and I'm sure leaders would like to have an environment. What prevents companies, what prevents leaders from being able to actually live out the core values that they espouse on their website. Under I don't wall. think
1: they I don't think they really believe in the importance of soft skills. And and I say soft skills lead to hard cash. I go back to the organizational triangle. That's mine too. That's mine too. That's another quotable. Soft skills lead to hard cash. They don't believe in it. Because you know what, it's kind of hard to measure, right? Everyone's into metrics these days. We need metrics. We need metrics. Measure it. Measure it. If you can measure it, you can manage it. Well, there's not a, a, an immediate correlation to holding someone accountable to the core values. And that day they close a sale for a million units of widgets. And it takes time. I, I think, first of all, you can't delegate core values. So the CEO, has to believe in it. And I think the CEO is responsible for three things, casting the vision, driving the culture, and large business transactions. They need to make time on their calendar to drive culture. But a lot of CEOs think that they're supposed to be busy and they fill their calendar, they're stacking up meetings, they don't have any buffers. So now somebody has a problem, you know, Blake wants to come into my office and complain about John Calipari and the fact that they didn't make it to a Final Four again, and I've got to hold his hand. Well, if I'm stacking meetings, then I can't make the time for him. But if I leave some room, some breath in my schedule, and I walk the floor, and I see Blake pouting over another lost game to Auburn, then I could put my arm around him and make him feel better about himself, right? <laughs> so I think that leaders, I call it the six no's of leadership, K-N-O-W-S. And I wrote a book called Rebound from Pain to Passion, and I put that in there. The six no's that I think leaders should have. They got one no. I, I, I jokingly say, we all like acronyms, so I, I call it Stevit, And I name it after a player that I try to recruit from Eastern Europe. A seven-footer with grades, S-T-E-V-I-T, Stevit. All good leaders have to know, number one, and you touched on it, Chad, know yourself. Because if you can't lead, if you don't know yourself, you can't lead others. Two, you got to know your team. What makes them tick? Everyone is different. I'm a big believer in assessments like the DISC assessment. So the better I can get understand each of you, the better I can deliver the communication. So. E, you got to know your environment. I mean, I go to Notre Dame, take over. I change the culture. They embrace it. I do the same thing at North Carolina. They didn't embrace it. Different environment. I should have known better. Got to know your vision. Where do you want to go? Because if you don't know where you want to go, you just might get there. Okay? And people aren't going to follow you if you're not telling me where you're going to go. So you've got to describe, I, I use this analogy, You've got to describe where you want to go and then hand your team paintbrushes and let them paint the picture. Now, what do you get? You get buy-in. And then I, in the steven, you got to know your industry. Like, if I don't know about how to guard a pick and roll or how to run transition offense or how to organize a team practice or I don't know what my competition's doing, then I'm not going to be an effective leader or as a head coach. Lastly, and maybe the most important, the truth. You've got to mine for the truth because if you don't manage the truth, the truth is going to manage your ass right out the door. So I'd rather get to know the truth first than last. I'd rather almost ride it like a wave than get smashed against the shore up by a tsunami. So how do you mine for the truth? You've got to create a safe environment where people will bubble up any concerns
0: i want to hit something that i've heard you talk about before and that is this concept of a personal board of directors yes and i know now if you can speak to how you do this with executives but i also would love for you matt to speak to let's say it's somebody younger in their career earlier in their career how how could they be thinking about in in using this concept of a personal board of directors
1: sure well, a couple of things. When I, I got to know Bob Bodine, Bob runs Eastman Bodine search firm in Plano, Texas. And, and he placed me at SMU. I had him on my rebound podcast that'll drop in two days on the night, on the 19th, I should say on the 19th little plug for my podcast anyway. And he was the first one to told me about a personal board of directors. And this was, oh, I don't know, 2003, 2004. Everyone needs a personal board of directors. And that board can change, right? But you should have somebody that can advise you financially, legally, you know, spiritually, you know, just that only has one thing. One thing on their mind is that your well-being. So I had a friend, John Black, who when I lost my job at North Carolina, he was there for me and he helped me and guide me, and I trusted him. And he pointed me in the direction of going on a leadership journey and working with executive coaches. And that, that can change, you know, business, you know, advice. My personal board of directors, I was blessed for a while. It was Dean Smith and Roy Williams. You know, I'm working, you know, at, at, at Kansas. And Get a job offer as a head coach. You know, go to Coach Williams. Should I take it? I go to Coach Smith. To, should I take it? And they'll say yes or no. Okay, whatever you say. And so the the Bob McKillop is on my personal board of directors, and and the most important person on my board of directors is God. You know, like like you know, I pray. I'm a Christian. I jokingly say I'm a three star Christian. I wish I was a five star Christian. But a friend of mine who went to seminary said, you know. There's You're either a Christian or you're not. There's no ratings of Christianity because we're all flawed, right? So, you know, but I I hope I can do better. Vistage, I'm an executive coach with Vistage. I'm a chair. We're the oldest executive coaching organization in the country, started in Wisconsin 65 years ago. That's all about peer advisory. It's all about a personal board of directors. Where can CEOs go in a safe place where they can be vulnerable, they can share their the the most important thing in business, personal, and health, and not be judged it's being in Vistage, and there's twenty seven thousand members worldwide that's what I do. I create that environment where they can go and share in our group or share with me in our one to one meetings some things that they don 't share with other people, and vice versa. I share with them i've got to model the behavior I want in my team, just like I did as a basketball coach. And that's a powerful place to be is when you, a friend of mine said, vulnerability is a new invincibility. As a leader, when you can be vulnerable, people lean into that. But if you try to come across as perfect, then everybody else is going to feel that nothing but perfection is accepted and they're going to get tight. They're going to afraid to tell you the truth. So when I say to you, you know, listen, man, I'm having a hard time sleeping or, you know, I'm worried or whatever it might be, you can't overshare with your team. That's why you need a personal board of directors. You better share it because it's going to, if it's suppressed, it's coming out somewhere. It might, you might kick your dog. You might snap at your wife. You might snap at a coworker or a direct report. It's just so
0: powerful to have, number one, people who have expertise that you don't have So it's, it's perspective, it's experience, it's skills maybe that you don't have. And then two, I'm hearing you say, Matt, the people who are actually, they're, they're safe. That's an overused term in society these days, but it's a, it's a space where it's outside of your normal context and they're, they're able to speak truth into your life. And uh, you can do that. Maybe you're not at the level now where you, where you qualify for a Vistage group with Matt but if you're as you're earlier in your career, you can form your own personal board of directors. You can seek those people out. Matt mentioned a couple of legends that have been, had a big impact for him. I know for me personally, there's some legends of my own in my life that God put in my life as well, where it's like you got you got to actually be intentional with that though. So like notice that they're there and ask them ask them to be a part of it. I know somebody one one of my good friends calls it their kitchen cabinet, so it's not a it's not a formal thing, but it's the it's their kitchen cabinet, and they will meet with with their their advisors. And it's people that have a vested interest in you and can really help you, help you grow. So if you take nothing else from this, a tangible thing is think about what would it look like for you to have a, to have a board of advisors? What would it look like for you to have those kind of people that are able to speak into your life in that way? Matt, I know we got to let you go, but I have two closing questions for you that we like to ask. At least one of these, we ask all of our guests and I know we, we share faith. So I'd love to hear this from you just in terms of how you articulate this, but this show is all about leading on purpose. as being driven by your why. So right. what, it what if, if you had to articulate for you, what is it that drives you? What is it that is kind of a fundamental why for what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm a teacher and coach and in the process, I want to leave breadcrumbs to the Lord, plain Amen. and simple. I've, I've been a coach my whole life on the court, off the court, and I feel with this platform and you know, the gifts that I've been given that I need to witness because when I get to the big house and God says, ask me, so what did you do? How did you witness? How did you impact lives? I do think that dropping breadcrumbs to the Lord through teaching and coaching is my mission. And I'm teaching and coaching business owners, executives. It's fulfilling work and I feel blessed to be able to do it. Matt, that's amazing. I love hearing that. Why I think we all aligned to that. I know we
2: all aligned to that on this, on this episode. And one of the things that I was struck by kind of at, at the end there, your your finishing comments around the board of advisors is that we cannot realize our fullest leadership potential doing it alone. No. Leadership can't be done alone. Hey, I, I want to get you out of here on this though. What is, you, you've been a division one coach at the highest level. You're a Vistage chair, you're coaching executives and CEOs. What is kind of a, a personal behag for you right now, your next big, hairy, audacious goal that you're going after could be personal, could be professional, but you know, what are you working towards next? Can you share well, that with the audience?
1: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm a big believer in Jim Collins's behag you know, I think that we all need to have it and we can't be afraid to talk about it. You know, mine as a youngster was to play in the NBA and, you know, didn't make it. But, you know, if I didn't have that, maybe I wouldn't have started at North Carolina for three years. So mine is to be one of the leading executive coaches and keynote speakers in the country, plain and simple. Amazing. Love that. Thank you for and, sharing. And
0: just to tie it all together, you started, Matt, by talking about high performers and what makes for high performers and how passion for craft is such a big part of that. You're embracing that. I feel the same way. This is, this is my craft. I'm going to try to be the Michael Jordan. I'm going to try to be the Kobe Bryant right. of this craft. So your craft is executive coaching, helping, helping executives grow and make better. That's, that's what you're becoming the, the, the Kobe Bryant, the Michael Jordan of. Uh, And I want, I want our audience to think about that for you. What is your craft and how are you mastering it? Are you pursuing it with that same level of
1: obsession and passion? As an executive coach, I'm all about leadership. I try to read or I listen to books mainly at at least my goal was two. Now it's three. I'm getting about three books a month. Your life's impacted by three things. We touched on some of this. It's, it's, it's impacted by the people you meet, personal board of directors and otherwise, the books you read or the podcasts you listen to, and the trauma in your life. And you control the first two. And I say, choose those wisely with intentionality. And the third is going to happen to you whether you like it or not. And the challenge I have when you go through that third is look for the good in it. Because there's always good in adversity, in trauma. Bob Bodine was on my podcast. His grandson died at 13 months, drowning accident. The eyes, the kidneys, the kidneys went to a 40-year-old. The eyes went to, I mean, and he looked at it. I'm getting goosebumps. He looked at it like we were blessed to have Bo for the 13 months we did and the seven extra days after he was resuscitated, and his gift is now helping other people live. Like that, Nelson Mandela, one of my favorite quotes is, I never lose either win or I learn. So through every adversity, you go through adversity, you don't hit adversity and stop, you go through it. I use the analogy of a car wash, your car's dirty. You go through a car wash. It comes out looking cleaner, newer, smelling better, runs better. Adversity's the same way if you have that growth mindset. I lost my job 2003. I, I was the head coach at North Carolina, man. Doesn't get much better than that. I'm like, God, why? Well, I think I know why. You know, I needed to be humbled. And maybe I, I was getting away from his team and he wanted me back on his team and The only way to get me back, a hard-headed Irishman from New York, was hit him in the back of the head, and he did and, and got me back. And now I try to incorporate him in everything I do. And maybe I wasn't doing that when I was the head coach at North Carolina. Maybe I'm touching more lives this way. Maybe I needed to go through that and to witness that. And he had a big impact because he creates hardship so that we lean on his understanding and get closer to him than when we try to do it ourselves. That's so
2: good. I feel like
1: the ultimate
2: growth mindset is everything that happens to us, God will use for our good and for his glory at the end of the day. And I can't help but think here your story, you wouldn't be the leader that you are had you not experienced some of that hardship and you wouldn't be impacting CEOs the way you are today without that leadership journey. And then what is the multiplication of that impact? Because every CEO is now going back and leading their teams differently and they're leading their teams differently. It becomes truly exponential. And that's why the show exists is to help leaders scale their own impact and and it be a positive impact. So thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, no, like everything in the world revolves around leadership. The world... The economies, our towns, our churches, our families. Our families are the most important organization we lead. And it's going to rise or fall to the level of the leadership. And uh, I'm passionate about it. I get geeked out on reading different books on, like, somebody will jump in a car and hear the book I'm listening to. They're like, what are you listening to? You know? Like, I, I listen to CEO Excellence. It was like a seven-hour book, nine-hour book. It was awesome. You know, they interviewed the top CEOs throughout the world and compiled it. Listening now to Matt Higgins' Burn the Boats, unbelievable book. So, you know, your life's impacted by the people you meet, and the books you read, and the trauma in your life. I read Pete Maravich's book when I was a little kid. He did the Steph Curry dribbling drills before Steph Curry. I was doing those drills as a kid. Bill Bradley, NBA player for the Knicks, talked about, I read his book in sixth grade. If you're not working as hard as someone else, when you two meet, that person will have the advantage. If you're not working on your game and as hard as you, as somebody else, and when you two meet, that person will have the advantage. I quit playing baseball right after I read that and stuck with basketball, impacted by Bill Bradley. In his book. And you don't have to physically meet people. You can meet people through their books and podcasts. Growth mindset. So good. I, for one,
0: will say I had no idea such wisdom could come from a Tar Heel, but I, I, I mean this with sincerity though, Matt, you share your story and what you've shared here at the end. Even I got goosebumps just kind of hearing, hearing that and hearing you talk about a very personal thing, very personal pain and just the purpose that has come from it, the resilience, the way you push through adversity and just the 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 bigger picture that maybe you couldn't have seen at the time, it's inspiring. And I want to commend you for that. Thanks for being on the show. Last question for you is, where can our audience find you? Where's the best place to look you up?
1: Yeah, thank you. My website, DohertyCoaching.com. That's spelled D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, coaching.com. DohertyCoaching.com.
0: Awesome. Hey, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Thanks so much for being on the show, Matt.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Matt. All right. Have a great day.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, guys, the best thing you can do is be a river, not a reservoir. Who could you share this with that could also get some value from it as well? Until next time, keep leading on purpose. Peace.